As we have been on Sunday nights talking about God's amazing grace, I realize it's been a, a, an uplifting and encouraging day. We've done a lot of good things. But tonight, I want to take you to a hard place. I want to ask you in your mind to go back to that, that thing you did that you deeply regret. In fact, I, I, I want so seriously to take the endeavor. I don't want you to look at me because for sure you don't regret your preacher. If you will, close your eyes. Some of you are already there and thank you for that. Close your eyes and go back there. Now, maybe it's just been this last week. Maybe it's been decades ago. Maybe time has washed it a little bit, but it's still there. That place of weakness, a moment of shame, a, a time in your mind and in your heart and in your life, that if you could do anything, you'd go back and erase it. Even just considering the moment now causes you to cringe in hopes, in hopes that it would never come to the light. As you are in that point, I want you to, to open your eyes now. That's the only closed eyes part of the sermon that's authorized. And you're in a mindset now to prepare for one of the hardest, most beautiful, tenderly written psalms, in my opinion, of all 150 of them. It's in Psalm chapter 51. I hope you'll turn there. Uh, the scripture has been read for us, and we're going to reread some of that tonight. Some of you might have a note above Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51 simply says, for the direct, in my Bible here, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Tonight's psalm is a psalm of a broken man. Now, of course, we understand and know that David was a God-fearing man. He was a God-loving man, described as a man after God's own heart. But the beautiful part about the Bible is that the Bible is a completely honest book. Not just about the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the love of God. Oh, that's true. But also about the sin and the wickedness and the evil and the depravity of even some of God's most beloved Characters. If you think you can't identify with a Bible character, a hero of faith, maybe Hebrews chapter 11, Psalm 51 is for you to remind us that even the greatest of God's people are still holy and completely in need of his mercy. This is one of, of seven of what I call the Psalms of penitence. And David wrote it in response to having to face his creator for the sin that he committed. I'm not sure if you've ever been there with the sin that you thought about. 
But I hope you don't wait until judgment day to come clean. For you can have mercy tonight. You can have forgiveness. You can have the full washing and cleansing and restoration of God. But you have to come to that point where you're honest with yourself and with your sin. David had done something. And and you understand that a king has lots of power. And certainly in this time, a king had great power. David hardly had to say a word, and it would be done. But David knew that even though he was king, this was something he could not undo. And maybe you've realized that, that going back there in your mind, you're angry now at the preacher for bringing it up and for making you go back to that place. I thought we were talking about grace this year. To fully understand grace, you must fully understand sin and God's response to the sincere heart that deals with sin honestly. So if you've ever messed up, especially irreparably, tonight's lesson is for you. We're in Psalm chapter 51. I'm going to reread the scripture. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, this is verse 4, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak. And justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hear me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed. Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken Spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you, and the bulls will be offered on your altar. Tonight, I want to highlight quickly four things that David needed. In my estimation, four things that we all need at some point from God. We're talking about when you mess up. When you mess up, you need God's mercy. 
David is showing his penitence and pleading for mercy. He's showing what the scriptures in the New Testament call godly sorrow. I want to look at two examples of that. If you're following along in the Bible, as I presume that most of the Sunday night crowd would do, turn to the book of Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is a description of two very different men. The first you probably know, but I want to just read the second man's description tonight. The first man being the Pharisee considered himself righteous before God, considered not any of the things he had, any of the ways in which he had fallen short, considered all of the ways in which he had met God's demands, God's decrees for justice and righteousness. And, and he did some very good things, but he forgot that he was incapable of keeping every law. But there's a second man who responds quite differently in coming to the presence of God. Verse 13, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mercy, as you've likely heard described, is simply not getting what you deserve. Now, that's different from justice, which is getting exactly what you deserve, and quite different from grace, which we've been talking about this, this whole year. And, and my comments, I said this to some of you tonight, you'll ask me, how are you? And I will reply with better than I deserve. Uh, full confession, that's not my line, that's the Dave Ramsey line. But I love it, because he's speaking truth about the power of grace. Grace is getting more than you deserve. Justice is getting just as you deserve. And mercy is not getting what you deserve. You see the difference between the three? Now, David is saying, God, I need your mercy. Because if you give me what I deserve for this sin which I've committed that I can't undo, and as we'll read later in David's life, will have so many ripples and repercussions throughout his life and the life of his family. He can't undo it. I'm sure if he would, he would try. But it's in God's hands. His concern seems to be very little for that at the moment. Chiefly, his concern seems to be that his sin was against God and God alone. From a legal perspective, mercy is something we call a pardon. Uh, you hear about the pardon, of course. That usually happens when the outgoing president is getting ready to leave, and he sort of wants to cause a little kerfuffle for the next guy or, you know. I mean, what's, what's anybody else going to do? The president has the power to pardon anyone, no matter how guilty or not they may be or we may perceive them to be. It's within his power to pardon. And, and, and it doesn't matter who the president is or who they pardon. There's always somebody upset by the pardon. Do you know why? Because it's unjust. Because it's mercy. It's, it's delivering that person from what they righteously, justly deserve. So we love the idea of mercy when we think of our own sin. All those sins you just thought of just now, the ones that people know about, the ones just between you and God. 
we all want mercy for that and quickly. But when it comes to other people's sins, sometimes we're a little hesitant. Well, I don't know if we should let that guy off the hook. I'm not sure if she deserves it. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Several Bible examples of not getting what you deserve. Joseph to his brothers. Remember when all the brothers came back to Egypt and after Jacob had died and they were very concerned and very worried because they knew that Joseph within his role had the power and the right to punish them to take retribution. And they were very concerned like how are we going to explain this? So they made up the story about oh yeah, you know, be merciful to us. That's what dad said. Joseph said, "Listen, you don't have to worry about that. I understand now what God was doing." And and he showed them mercy. They didn't get what they deserved. Another example is uh, Moses to Aaron and Miriam when they rebelled against Moses' authority. And God was ready to strike them down. And Moses interceded and asked asked him to give mercy to them. Uh, One great example in the New Testament is Jesus at the end of John to Peter, his good friend who had denied him three times, within earshot to some degree or just in heavenly knowledge, Jesus knew as the rooster crowed that the one who had said he would die with Jesus was now denying Jesus. Oh, don't you know that Peter's heart was oh so heavy? If he could go back and undo it, he would. If he could go back and unsay it, of all the times that Peter had to speak up, not the, really the best one. If you could unsay those words and just pull them back in. And Jesus beautifully shows him mercy. Peter, do you love me? And feed my sheep. Mercy is one of the most beautiful aspects and tr- characteristics of God that we can fully understand. And we see it in human beings But we understand it's perfectly given in God. Turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Again, back to the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus tells us, and I'll give you one verse earlier, Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. How, how is it that God calls us to be merciful like he is merciful? How in the world can God be merciful? Because if, if you were following along, I just said to you that mercy is unjust. So if Jesus said to be merciful like God is merciful, what I've just, if you're logically reasoning this out, what I've just said is that God is unjust if he's merciful. We're asking for God to be merciful, whether for your sin or for someone else's. What we're asking God to do is to be unjust. We're asking the judge to give pardon and clemency that he has the power to do, but which he will take the slings and the arrows because others will say, how unjust to pardon such a guilty one. 
How can God stand over here and over here and over here at the same time? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God did this for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God's mercy came at the expense of justice, ours, what we were due, what what we owed, what we were guilty of being put on him. May we not forget that mercy is beautiful. It comes at a tremendous price. That was David's guilt. That's our guilt. That's the guilt of our children and their children on Jesus. Oh, oh God can hold these two positions simultaneously because of what his son did. Secondly, mercy from God brings also his cleansing. When you mess up, you need God's Cleansing. Uh, the Hebrew here, from my understanding of in Psalm chapter 51, the Hebrew word for cleansing, this is now in verse um, uh, 2. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, from all my sin. Uh, the, the Hebrew word, best I can understand it, is, is to unsin me, to remove the stain as if it were never Ever there. It's a holy washing. And, and you understand that a holy washing is different from human washing. It's very different. Um, so, as I told you earlier today, my wife's birthday is today, being the blessing that I am to her. I took her to lunch along with her family, and I stained my shirt right here. And and so I took, you know, it's not the first time, won't be the last time. Took a little lemon, put it on the stain, and hope that it will be okay. In my desk drawer in my office is a Tide pen. So because I often spill things on my shirt, there's a lot of surface area which is exposed there. And there are times when the stain comes out, but there's just a hint of it. There's a time when the stain just will not come out. You, you have this experience. I take my suits to the dry cleaners every few weeks, and sometimes I get them back with a green tag, the dreaded green, the dreaded, the dreaded green tag, the dreaded green tag from my dry cleaners as a note, something like this: "We're sorry." We tried, and this is literally what it says. We tried, and we tried, and we tried to remove the stain, but were unable to do so. To which I want to respond, I tried, and I tried, and I tried to pay you to clean that suit, but I was unable to do so. You see, human cleansing is different from godly cleansing. You you know, you have shirts and things, and, and you wash them enough, eventually they're wear out because it's gradually removing small little particles and pieces of the clothing. Little by little, you take that stain out. But God, God, when he cleans us, he cleanses us. It's that holy cleansing that does it like it's not, it was not even ever there. Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together. Let us settle the matter together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Now, I always have in mind that, that perfect, the, the, uh, the, the perfect whiteness of the snow, but think about it for just a minute. Imagine the perfect white scenery in your mind's eye, know we're a few months from it. But you only get that pure, clean white snow when it's untouched before the footprints and the tire tracks and all of the stuff. And, and the more that we come into contact with it, the dirtier it gets. And God says, or, or David pleads, wash me that I might be whiter than snow, pure and untouched. It's better than human cleaning. It's holy cleaning. And that inner cleansing, that cleansing of the heart, creating me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's not something that you and I can do. We ought to just turn in our dreaded green tag to God and say, sorry. I tried and I tried and I tried to remove the stain. But you see, I cannot. Some people live their whole lives trying to remove the stain. That they can never fully get out. David wisely understood that he needed God's cleansing. Yes, he needed his mercy. But only God could remove the stain of the sin which he had committed. It is Christ's blood and his blood alone that cleanses us. You know, first John chapter one, turn there with me. Trying to keep up, I know. Please turn there to first John, because you need to hear this word from first John. A word which you've heard before. This is the message we have heard. This is verse five of first John one. This is the message we have heard now from him and declare to you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Well, that's kind of a problem because if I'm truly honest, I've got a little bit of darkness in me. What about you? If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies. I know you've heard this sermon before. The Greek word there meaning continuative action, meaning constantly, continually, not just a one-time deal. It's not like you went in the water and you became pure and white as snow and then a little life got in you and now you're as dirty as ever. It's that when you're walking in the light, the blood of Jesus is continually cleansing And making you whiter than you could ever make yourself. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Oh, if David could have only known Jesus, he would have only known the cleansing that was only through him. When you mess up, you need God's cleansing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Of Jesus, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, you mess up, you don't just need God's mercy. That's true. You also need God's cleansing because God is light and in him is no darkness. And the only way for that to happen is Jesus. His cleansing brings us full and total restoration. Now, I know that there are those of you in here who are restorers. Some people restore furniture. 
Some people restore cars. Some people restore homes. It's the process of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. You look at the technical definition of restoration. It's returning it to its former glory. This is so wonderful. Turn to Acts chapter 3. There's a great example of this. Maybe we overlook it. Acts chapter 3 is the story when Peter and John heal a man who is lame. He is crippled. He is unable to care for himself. Starting in verse 2, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple, to the gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them, For money, Peter looked straight at him and said, listen, look at us. So the man gave him his whole attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but I, what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I'd love to read the rest of that story, but Peter goes on to essentially, they said, they said what's this all about? That's a guy who used to sit at the temple all the time. We know who that guy is. How did this happen? And Peter says something kind of funny. He says, why does this amaze you? Why, why, why does this get your attention? What makes you think that we did this? We had nothing to do with this. Jesus is the one who did the restoring. He took that man's crippled legs and made them like they could walk. He strengthened those muscles and those tendons and those nerves that hadn't been used in years and made them as strong as, I have no doubt, a young man's legs. His walking and jumping and praising God, using legs he had never used before. Man, don't miss that. Jesus is here to restore what is broken, what is not as good as it used to be. And then he preaches a sermon and he says, by the way, that guy that gave us the power to do that, you killed him. Kind of putting David's guilt on him. And he says, listen, you can't undo that. You can't fix that. You can't mend that. But let me tell you what you can do. Verse 19 now, if you look along in the Bible. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing May come from the Lord. Jesus, get, get this. He, Peter's, Jesus is saying to these people who had so much guilt and they, you talk about your sins. I, I don't know what they are and I don't mean to be insensitive, but they are not killing the Son of God. And these people who had done that, who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Peter said, your soul can be restored in the same way that man's legs were. You can be renewed and refreshed and rejoice. And it all starts with repentance. Jesus can make you as full and new and pure as the day you were born. His restoration. 
His restoration is proof of future deliverance. And that's the last point. When you mess up, you need God's deliverance. Psalm chapter 51, again. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God. When a person's delivered from something, when they're rescued from something, truly tragic and horrific. Story was in the paper. Sorry, I don't read the paper. Story was on my iPhone about a teenage girl who had been trafficked and, and had been kidnapped and was being abused horrifically. She's being held in this house. The mail carrier comes along, and this girl somehow escapes from the house momentarily. And she pleads, she begs the mail carrier for help. And obviously, he comes to her aid, and he does not leave. And he pulls out his phone, and he calls the police, and he delivers her. He rescues her from atrocious conditions. And the picture in the story was, was a cool one of, of her embracing the, the, the man who had rescued her, who had delivered her. And all around in this picture were people smiling and, and tears, no doubt, flowing because they were watching someone being delivered, being rescued. It's powerful. When we get to watch God work, we watch as he delivers people. And the, 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 the reaction... It's just what David said. Let me open my lips and sing of your salvation. Many years ago, teen camp. Don't remember the year. Do remember the event. We went on the big hike. You guys know the big hike, right? And we're coming back down, and the guides get lost. There's a, there's a fork in the trail, and they take the wrong way. And I think it's pretty scary because we're on a mountain. You know, you go the wrong way, you can end up way on the other side of the mountain. We are in a place where we are unfamiliar. The guides in front of us do not realize where they are. It's instant in a moment how scary it became. And finally, we had a guide who came up and sent us in the right direction. And and the, the, the tenseness and the, the scaredness and the... Just the moment of feeling so lost and then finding having someone who could bring us home. There were smiles and laughter and joy again. I hope you get the point. When deliverance happens, there are smiles and joy and gratitude and love and rejoicing. The same way that the angels rejoice when one sinner repents because what they've watched from a holy viewpoint is that Jesus delivering one more person. And when we see someone come to Christ, we're watching the same thing. If you've been delivered from sin and the justice of eternity in hell, my question for you is, does your face show that? Does it come across in your worship? 
as they come across in how you interact with other people. Delivered people have a face that is undeniable and a story to tell. So what can we take away from these from this whole lesson tonight? God's working through David and showing him mercy and him begging for it. We know we are in needs of God's mercy. So my, my challenge to you tonight as we finish is that we also need to show God's mercy, to be merciful. Has someone done you wrong in the past week, past month, past year? Someone really, really do you wrong? Undoubtedly. You're not, you know, you're, I know what you're saying. You're like, Toby, don't, don't ask me to do it. Don't ask me. That was an earlier challenge in the year, and I, I got through that month, but don't ask me to do it again. Be merciful. If you don't want God's justice and you want God's mercy, you can have it through Jesus Christ freely. There is one cost. If you want God's mercy, you have to be a dispenser of God's mercy and being willing to do for others what he did to you. you got two options when somebody does you wrong. You can hold it against them. You can be passive-aggressive. You can be active-aggressive. But you can hold it against them or you can be merciful when you don't give them what they deserve. And you can let that stuff go. And it's so much better when you do. Giving mercy is the only way to receive it. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. James, his brother, said, for judgment is without mercy, is shown to the one who has shown no mercy. Catch that? If you're not willing to extend mercy to others, don't ask or expect God to extend it to you. At some point... We all identify with David's need. Tonight, I want to ask you if you want to be fully and completely receive the mercy of God, the cleansing of God, the restoration of God, of the soul. If you want to be completely and totally restored, may you may you know Jesus. You can come, you can respond to the gospel invitation tonight, and you can have your sins washed and be whiter than snow. Or if you have another need, maybe you've fallen, maybe you've stumbled in ways that you can't fix, and you need the mercy of God, the deliverance of God, you can come tonight. We'll pray with you and for you, and intercede on your behalf, begging God to do for you what he did for David, what he has done for so many. Because of Jesus. May we not forget it's because of the justice at the cross that we can receive his mercy. If you're ready to receive, if you need to receive, please come as together we stand and sing.